Welcome to all of you, especially welcome to our guests. I know that we have at least a couple of new folk couples here this morning, John and Betty over here, and, and another couple, as I understand it here. So we're constantly growing, and I invite you to reach out to those that you don't know. Say hi to them this morning and make them feel the welcome that I know is a part of the life of this church. This week, I spoke to one of my favorite young men. He came to Christ in our church many years ago. He married a daughter of this church. He has served in our military with great distinction. He is now in training for the role of a, of a lifetime, his dream job. But then he told me the unexpected happened recently. He began to experience anxiety attacks. He began to struggle with inner voices that questioned his competence and his worth. He began to struggle with outer voices that were criticizing him. He couldn't sleep. He struggles with what he calls the sine wave of depression, up and down, up and down, up and down. He's wondering when he will return to normal. He's wondering if he will return to normal, and if this means the end of his long-held dreams. He's praying. He's memorizing Scripture. He's getting professional help. He has the support of his wife. He's doing all the things he ought to be doing, but his relief is slow to come, and he is discouraged. Ever been there? I wonder if we had the courage, if we really trusted each other enough, how many here would admit that you have gone through seasons of depression and anxiety and even despair? Of course, admitting such things can in themselves be terrifying, right? What will people think? What will my bosses think? What will my employees think? I'm seeing head nods out there. What will my friends and family think if they know I'm struggling in this way? Will they lose, will I lose their respect? Will I lose an opportunity? Will I lose my influence? I'm a Christian for crying out loud. Christians aren't supposed to struggle this way, right? Well, not right. Or if it is right, we're in trouble as a church because your pastors have stood before you and confessed their own times of psychological struggle and panic and anxiety and depression. There have been times in my life when I was physically debilitated by the depression I was experiencing. And if you never have, then good for you. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I'll bet in your heart of hearts that many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe you too are struggling with a feeling of guilt because you are a Christian. Jesus said, do not be anxious. That ought to settle it, right? Well, maybe not. I'm going to read a remarkable passage from Luke's gospel as we draw near the end of our journey through this great tome. And in it, we are going to discover that Jesus' disciples were struggling with anxiety and depression. But amazingly, amazingly, they weren't the only ones. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. We'll begin at verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. In March of 2025, I will lead another group to the Holy Land, Lord willing. And we will drive to the top of the Mount of Olives and we will take our Palm Sunday walk down that hillside to the bottom of the hill, which leads to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while there, I'm going to point out to you an olive tree that is over 2,000 years old, which means that the sprout from which that tree sprung bore witness to the story that we just read. Amazing. Following the Last Supper, Jesus led his disciples out of the upper room, probably near the south of the old city, down through the Kidron Valley and back up the other side to a familiar place. Luke doesn't name it. We know it is called Gethsemane, but it's on the Mount of Olives. And, and they did that so that Jesus could engage in a spiritual wrestling match. And it wasn't with Judas. It wasn't with Peter. It wasn't with the devil. It was with his heavenly Father. And when I stand in that place with our groups, and I, I say it was not on the cross that our salvation was won. It was actually won right here when Jesus chose to complete his appointed mission, a mission that he wanted very much to abandon. Jesus was frightened, we are told, anguished and sad and depressed. Luke tells us that he was in agony. The Greek word agonia couldn't be much clearer. It's not physical agony. It was emotional and spiritual and psychological agony. Jesus knew what lay before him, and he dreaded it. And it wasn't just the betrayal and the scourging, the torture, and the brutal death on the cross, although that would have certainly been enough to have stressed anyone out. Even more, he knew he was going to experience something that no human being had ever faced before. He was going to drink of the cup of God's wrath, his heavenly Father. He was going to take upon himself the judgment that we deserve. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus the Son would experience separation from his heavenly Father as he took upon himself the sin of the world. He would, on the cross, cry out to his Abba, Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? This is Jesus speaking to his heavenly Father. And that prospect terrified him. Agonia. This agonia resulted, in fact, in physical manifestations. It may be a, a metaphor for just a lot of sweating, but I actually think that this was a real physical manifestation because it's only Dr. Luke who tells us about this. Only Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus suffered from something that is called hematridosis. It's a condition where under extreme stress, capillaries that are near the surface of the skin swell and burst, 
causing blood to be discharged, to ooze out through the pores of the skin. And it must have been a terrifying sight for the disciples when Jesus walked out of the darkness, woke them, and they opened their eyes to look upon a face that was streaked with his own blood. Jesus was in agony. He was experiencing stress-induced physical manifestations. And in Matthew's version of this story, Jesus even tells his disciples he is so sad, he feels like his sorrow is going to kill him. He says, I am very sorrowful even to death. There's the evidence. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, our Savior and Lord, experienced a level of sadness and anguish and despair that he found almost unbearable. Does that encourage you to know that Jesus has experienced what you've experienced? Does it frighten you to know that Jesus has experienced what you have experienced? Maybe it does both. Well, we won't stop there because Jesus doesn't stop there. He refused to remain in Gethsemane. He stood up. He pushed through. He conquered his agonia. And I find here four things that Jesus did that helped him to move forward in this darkest moment in this most violent spiritual struggle of his life. And this is the guy that was tempted by Satan. To help remember these four points, I want to think PTSD. And I'm not talking a post-traumatic stress disorder. Pray, trust, share, and defy. Pray, trust, share, and defy. If you want to find victory in your, arg- in your moments of agonia, we need to pray, trust, share, and defy. So first, P, pray. We must pray. And I mean really pray. I'm not talking now I lay me down to sleep prayers. I mean really pray. Because that's what Jesus models for us here. There's a church in Gethsemane called the Church of All Nations. It's my favorite church in the Holy Land. It has no windows, but it has instead panes of alabaster that throw a calming purple hue over the entire sanctuary. And in the center of the sanctuary, there's a large boulder that is said to be the stone by which Jesus knelt down to pray that night of his arrest. But I wonder if you understand how unusual that posture would have been. Jews pray standing up. They don't pray kneeling down. Catholics do that, but Jews don't do that. The fact that Jesus knelt to pray, he dropped to his knees, suggests a depth of pathos, an intense, passionate struggle that he was going through. And for good reason. There was a lot at stake. R.C. Sproul, the Famous Presbyterian pastor, late pastor, once imagined it in this way. He wrote, Jesus asked permission to be excused from his mission. Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to drink it. I know my hour has come, and this is my destiny. But Father, there has to be some other way. Please let this cup pass. For all of his ministry, as we've watched in the gospel story, we watch as Jesus lived in perfect alignment with his Father's will. He was always saying, I don't say anything that the Father didn't tell me to say. What I do, the Father told me to do. But now for the first time, Jesus is at odds with the Father's will. For the first time, he's having second thoughts. It is an astounding revelation of his very human struggle with the weight of what he would bear. 
And I want you to notice this. Jesus invites his disciples to share in that weighty prayer. When he goes away to pray, the first thing he says to them before he leaves is, is pray that you may not enter into temptation. We're not sure what temptation. The temptation to, to flee, the temptation to, we don't know for sure. But he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then when he returns from his prayer, finds them asleep, he says the exact same thing. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This isn't Jesus just throwing a few religious words heavenward. This was Jesus in heartfelt, passionate, intercessory, bare-knuckled battle with the devil prayer. And he entreated his disciples to join him in that passionate prayer battle. He entreats us disciples to join him in that battle. If you want to conquer depression and anxiety in your life, pray with everything you've got. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety or panic, there's more to be done than prayer, but there certainly could be no less done than prayer. Passionate and honest and grappling prayer on your knees, pouring out your heart in total honesty. Tell God how unhappy you are. Beg God to deliver you from your agonia. Jesus gives you permission to do that. So that's first, P, prayer. That's what it looks like. Quickly, though, we turn to T-trust. Trust. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless. Would you say that word with me? Nevertheless. Not my will, but yours be done. You are invited by Jesus to ask for relief from your heavenly Father about all that agonizes you. But that one word, nevertheless, resets our human perspective. Nevertheless, Father, you know what I want, but at my core, I want what you want. I trust that what you want is better, is best for me. And I cannot see my way through the fog of pain that I'm in right now, but I choose to trust you even in that pain. Nevertheless, nevertheless. And I want you to look how God responds to that prayer. Luke tells us something that no other gospel tells us. He says that, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Only Luke tells us about this angelic presence. Only Luke tells us that God, in response to Jesus' agonized prayer, sent a, a heavenly messenger, a minister, an angel. But I want you to notice the angel doesn't deliver him. The angel strengthens him. Sometimes angels deliver us from our struggles. Sometimes they strengthen us for our struggles. I spoke to a friend last week who was going through a really hard patch, Job-like. He told me, my mantra right now is, God, you are sovereign. God, you are sovereign. God, you are sovereign. God, you are sovereign. And that is exactly what Jesus modeled in this moment. God, here's what I want, Jesus said. I want relief, but more than that, I want your will. You are sovereign, and more than anything, I trust in your purpose for my life. Can you imagine in the depth of your own agony, can you find yourself saying, Lord, despite it all, I trust you. So P, pray. T, trust. S, share. If anyone could have faced the dark night of his soul all by himself, it was Jesus Christ. No one was better equipped to go solo than him. But he didn't. He invited his disciples to share his agony. Luke says that when they went to this place, the disciples followed them. Jesus wanted them there. Jesus needed them there. 
It is an incredible demonstration of his vulnerability and his transparency that he didn't try to hide his pain and his uncertainty and his struggles from his dearest friends. He invited them right in the middle of that boiling cauldron of pain and fear and uncertainty. It is often our instinct to do just the opposite in times of emotional agony. We clam up, we hunker down, we slip away, we go it alone. And it is exactly the wrong instinct. God said in Genesis, it is not good that man should be alone. He has never changed his opinion of that. I am glad that my young friend reached out to me last week. I am glad that I could help him carry his burdens. I am glad that he's invited me to continue to check in on him and pray for him and encourage him. I am so grateful for my life group. I have a group of guys I meet with every Friday morning. I love those guys. And I need those guys. And I love how they are caring for each other. That guy I mentioned earlier in my message, the God, you are sovereign guy who's going through such a hard time. I walked into the tides Tuesday night and found him sitting with two of his life group brothers. They took him out to love him and to encourage him. And come to find out just before that, another from the group had taken him out for a cup of late afternoon coffee, decaf I'm sure. The guy said, yeah, it's been a bro fest today. It's been a bro fest. Isn't that wonderful? That's what life groups are supposed to be, not just a Bible study, although certainly at the core is the study of God's Word, but relationship of that sort, because we never throw the stress baton away. We just pass it on. We pass it on. Each of us goes through our stressful times. I guess it's your turn. And if you haven't invested in relationships that will be there for you in your Gethsemane moments, you deprive yourself of one of God's great antidotes to depression and despair, the gift of genuine relationship that bears and shares your burdens. We all need brofests, right, Pastor Rachel? And cisfests, we call them life groups. From time to time, we need that. Do you have such transparent, vulnerable relationships like that? If you don't, you're going to be in trouble when you need them. Now is the time to invest in it. So P, pray, T, trust, S, share, and then finally, of course, the, the Mark Toon weird one, D, defy. D, defy. If we're going to be victorious over our bouts with despair and anxiety, we need to be defiant. When Jesus returned to his disciples and he found them asleep, he said, rise, rise up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. In other words, he said, I know you are in depression slumber. He said they were sleeping for sorrow, such a poignant phrase. They were sleeping for sorrow. They were so depressed they couldn't sleep. They couldn't stay, keep their eyes open. And in, in other words, he says, I know you are in depression right now, but awaken, he says, rise up. Don't give in to your sorrow and your despair. Don't surrender. And I want you to listen to the rest of defiant Jesus in the rest of this story, starting at verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. 
Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. When Jesus heard his would-be captors coming in, he didn't turn tail and run. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that he moved toward them. He moved toward them. He called out Judas for his betrayal. He called out the chief priests and the officers, which is probably the temple police, and the elders. He called out all three groups and he defied their cowardice. They refused to arrest him in front of the crowds because of their fear. Only under the cover of darkness were they willing to do so. And he called them on it. He must have been an intimidating figure in that moment. His face perhaps streaked with his own sweated blood moving toward them, calling them out for the cowards that they were. My favorite part of the David and Goliath story is this one. When they were done yelling at each other from across the field of battle that morning, and Goliath decided to crushed this little flea and started moving toward David to attack him. We read that David ran toward the giant. He didn't wait for him. He didn't just saunter. He ran toward the giant. He didn't wait for the fight to come to him. If he was going to fight, he might as well get on with it. He took the fight to Goliath. We need to treat depression and anxiety and, and, and all of the rest like the cowards that they are. They want to make us hunker down and hide. They want to put us into a, a spiral of fear where our perceived threats turn into a giant that cannot be defeated. But there must come a moment when we fight back, when we rise from our knees, when we find, rise from our stupor of sorrow and we face our fears, when we run toward that giant. It might be a spiritual battle, literally a spiritual battle. My young friend spoke of these internal voices he was hearing. Sometimes those are voices of our own imagination, of our own creation. But sometimes those are demonic voices, the voices of the evil one about whom we pray every Sunday. And they need to be put in their place. I prayed with him that the blood of Christ would protect him. I ordered every spirit of anxiety and inadequacy to leave him in the name of Jesus. And by the way, I'm pleased to tell you, I heard from him yesterday. He said he'd had the best night of sleep that he had had in weeks. Praise the Lord. It is not healthy to pretend that anxiety and despair don't exist. It is not healthy to pretend that good Christians don't deal with that kind of stuff. But neither is it healthy to capitulate to them. Jesus stood in defiance of all that would destroy him. His spirit lives within us, and in the power of that Holy Spirit, we must defy the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy. So there it is, PTSD. Pray, trust, share, and defy. Jesus Christ himself faced times of anxiety and despair. Jesus Christ experienced unanswered prayer. Do you realize that? The thing he asked for, he did not get. And he even felt abandoned by God, and yet he overcame it all by his power, by his spirit. You can do the same. Let us pray. 
Lord, this is not a sign of Jesus that we often think of. We imagine him in his power and his glory, in his divinity, and perhaps are even a little uncomfortable recognizing Jesus in his humanity as well as he struggled with what he knew awaited him, as he despaired over that, as he agonized over it. How kind it is of you, Lord, to reveal all of yourself to us in the brightness of it, but also in the darkest of moments. For we know that you have conquered it and that through you, we can conquer as well. I pray for those who are struggling this moment with anxiety, with depression, with despair, with grief, who are sleeping for sorrow. They can hardly get themselves out of bed in the morning or maybe struggling with insomnia. They can't find a a moment's rest. Lord, I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. I defy the enemy who would want to use the circumstances of their life to defeat, discourage, and despair them. In the name of Jesus, I would pronounce healing and deliverance and hope and shalom over every life here this day. May there be a noticeable difference. When they leave the sanctuary this morning, may they say, I have been visited by Almighty God and I have been set free. That's what we ask, and we ask it in the name of the one who makes it possible, our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Again. 
Let's declare it together. Death was once my great opponent. Death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me. But the Son who died to save us rose that we would be free. Indeed. Yes, He rose that we would be free. Indeed. Free from every plan of darkness. Free to from time to time. When I do, I feel unworthy. I feel somehow less than I should be. Perhaps those of you who have faced that experience some of those same feelings. What a comfort it is to know that we have a Christ who has entered into every aspect of our life, including that deep, dark place emotionally. And yet he has shown us a way out of that as well. PTSD, can you remember what they are? Pray, trust, share, and defy. Say it again. Pray, trust, share, defy. You might need some help. You might need some people to walk with you on this. We have a prayer team over here who would love to stand with you. They would love to share with you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to defy the, the enemy with you, and they'll be over in that, in that prayer chapel following this. After the service, there are folks in the back who would love to talk to you a little bit more about our ministry. Pastor Rachel will be there. I invite our guests to make your way if this is your first time. Find out more about our church. Keep praying for our kiddos down in Mexico and all those adults who are with them. Keep holding them before the Lord. And as always, I will say none of what I've said to you is possible because we grit our teeth and try harder. It is only possible because more of the Spirit of Christ indwells us. So let us do what we do every Sunday, raise our hands up and receive an infilling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said,